This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Topic of the week, book banning and other forms of censorship. We have two very interesting guests. Both are reformed journalists and current <laughs> authors, Janet Boomersbach and Camille Kimball. To both of you, welcome back to this Think Tank. Thank you so much, Michael. It's good to be here. So what's going on with Ben? We seem to be at uh, the front end of a spate. Uh, I mean, book banning, I don't think it's been a constant. It ebbs and it flows. It seems to be that uh, we're hit right in the last year with a whole, an upswing, really. What's going on? Well, it seems to me that we have seen in the past individual school districts and schools um, taking books out of out of their curriculum, but I don't know that we have seen in in the modern era this level of state laws being written to ban books and to ban any you know certain types uh, topics of teaching, which we have a bill in Arizona right now that's making its way through, which is appalling, uh, a House bill. Uh, so I do think that there's something new here. Although it's a very old thing, I think this particular stripe we're experiencing right now is a little bit new. Jana? You know, I think that we've always had we've always had censorship. I mean, in 1885, they censored um, um, uh, 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 Huckleberry Finn. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, right. Um, and, they, uh, and before that, they had done a religious treatise that they didn't like. Um, so there's always been an uncomfortable level of people that are just not – they just don't like ideas and they don't like, they don't like people learning new things. But now I think we've, we've re- entered a whole new era. I think I, I totally agree in that we are now trying to, to criminalize the re- reading and writing of books. And we're trying to give trying to give um, uh, uh, prison terms to teachers who would dare to teach uh, and use a book or have a book a different book in their thing. Um, and so they well, we got such a surplus of teachers, and anyway, we got right? some exactly. So we can get rid of them so easily. But and, and the and the range is going so wide. I mean, they're going to the great classics of American literature, and they're and they're looking at they're looking at things, and they're just deciding um, ridiculous things. A woman in Texas didn't want people to read Michelle Obama's obit- uh, obituary, her, her biography, her biography. Right? It's Be- a biography yeah. of a first lady, lady. because what it made her heck? uncomfortable. I hope to God it made. Made her uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I, I hope this I, white that, Karen got uh, so uncomfortable she couldn't even breathe. Isn't that something? The fundamentals on which there is the disagreement that people who say we want to ban this because it makes me feel uncomfortable, and most people who teach literature will say, "Good, that's the whole purpose the of good purpose. literature is to make you feel uncomfortable." Right. To and make the you purpose think. of feeling uncomfortable is to grow. Right. It's not just that we, you know, people want to make you miserable <clears throat> with their words. They want you to reflect. They want you to grow. They want you to see the world possibly in a new way and make it a better one. Right. Because you, we can't all have all the experiences. I mean, I'm a white woman. I will, I'll never understand. I'll never have the black experience or Hispanic experience or Chinese experience or a Native American experience. But I can read those books and I can try to understand what's going on in those minds and how you're, that culture works. You're a works sentient and, being. I th- right. you, can, you can, if you read with a sensitivity, it may not be quite the same as experiencing it. But right. you can get close if right. it's well-written literature and you're receptive to it. 
Right. One of the best lines is on on Facebook. A mother asked her nine-year-old daughter, as a little white girl, how do you feel reading these books? And, and, and they thought about that. It makes you uncomfortable. And she says, I think the only white people who are uncomfortable reading this are people who want to do it all over again. Oh, wow. perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we need out of the mouths of babes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think that that's one of the things that's happening is that you've got the division in this country, which Donald Trump is, is, is the, uh, the master charge of, of I, I believe, has created a, a whole new thread of, of, of ugliness that's spreading around. And that part of that ugliness is to say anything that I don't like, anything that's just not kind of my little side of the world, I don't want anybody exposed to. And, and that's just the, it's just ignorant. It's ignorance and it's prejudice and it's silly. You know, this gets me to the question. I listen to the discourse right now about this, and there's something that on the face of it sounds like it makes a certain amount of sense. And you think about it for a minute and you realize, no, absolutely not. And that is the notion that parents ought to be able to control what their kids read. Mm-hmm. You can't run a school that way. Mm-hmm. Every parent's going to have a different idea. And secondly, teachers are there because they know something. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and thirdly, and, and perhaps the most practical thing to consider, and I read a lot of stories about this in the last few days, um, people telling stories of being a, a teenager or almost a teenager and a book being banned in their school, Catholic school or, you know, their classroom or something. And by noon, you better believe I had that book. And right. I passed it around to all my friends. Right. And they're doing that now. They're holding uh, rallies in these southern states that are banning books. They they are buying copies of the book and they're they're, they're handing them out for free at the rallies. But most of all, we are living in the 21st century, and every one of these parents who is you know, upset about some book at school, that book is available in that kid's bedroom online where mom and dad aren't looking. Wouldn't you rather have that book be discussed with an educated adult in the room, a teacher? Because... You know, in the past, say, burning the Library of Alexandria, you know, that's a great tragedy that all that knowledge is lost. Knowledge isn't lost anymore. It's Mm -hmm. always, always online. Mm -hmm. And your kids will find it when they're 10, 12, 15, or 30. You cannot stop it. Especially if you tell them you can't read it. That's (laughs) it. That's it. As soon as you say it's forbidden fruit, that's when they want it. And why aren't parents sitting down and reading those same books with their children? If there's a book that your child wants to read and you're, a, 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 you know, like n- n- nervous about it, why don't you sit down and read that book with your child? Why don't you also read it and then discuss it with your child? Because if there's some reason that child wants to read that book, their, their peers are reading the book. It's ta- being talked about in school. There's a great example is this book, Maws, I think it's pronounced. Uh, yeah, the, the, the comic, well, comic book, the illustrated Mouse. Uh, Mouse. Mouse. Yeah, Mouse, Mouse, the Mouse Holocaust book. Right, right. So the Holocaust book, that's the thing. Okay, that book was n- nowhere near a popular book until they banned it in Tennessee. It is now totally out of print in, in, on uh, Amazon. You can't get it in your bookstores. Everybody's trying to get it online. I mean, it created an enormous thing. So the best thing that ever happened to that book was being banned in Tennessee. Right, because it creates now everybody the market. Wanted to read what it. was the argument 
And the argument it. was that it was that it was uh, uh, um, uh, that it told the story of the Holocaust and that this was a terrible upsetting, thing. That, upsetting, yeah, upsetting to, to read. people. Well, yeah, if you're be. not upset reading <laughs> about the, the Holocaust, Holocaust, what are you? are uh, likely a, a psychopath, and you know we need to know about <laughs> right, you. Exactly. The, the 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 book that I find just absolutely astonishing is the Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah, I give that book to every girl that I know who reaches about 10 years of age, because it's in the book that I think that that about that age is when that girl should be reading and understanding what happened to that little girl. Um, and I so I bought hundreds of copies of that book over the years. Good for you. And, and I and the, th- the thought that somebody would find that book offensive, that they would find the chi- a child who was murdered. Um, after her family hid out for over two years during the Holocaust, I mean, it's to me is it's so unbelievable. But then also, I found in one year they banned the Bible. So somebody also out there was like not so. Well, safe. the Bible's got a lot of racy stuff. In Do, it. it does. The Bible has more racy stuff. <laughs> so than I got stuff in it I couldn't read on the it internet. Has, <laughs> it has incest. <laughs> it has violence. It has fratricide. It has. Uh, drunkenness it has everything you could want in a thriller you know a, a, a band thriller we never read that part in catholic school <laughs> well <laughs> let me tell you little boy i got some things to teach you <laughs> they sanitize that part ah uh, we'll be back janet boomersbach and uh camille kimball talking censorship book banning and the like when we return in just a moment in the think tank the think tank KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Uh, we're talking about banned books and censorship. Uh, when I thought about this, I came up with three categories of things that I think have been traditionally censored. Uh, one is anything having to do with sex. Uh, in particular, anything that... that uh, uh, Promotes as acceptable anything other than ultra traditional notion. So homosexuality or anything outside the bounds of marital sex, maybe even that sometimes. Two, religion uh, is real big. Three, politics of uh, of a sort that's unacceptable uh, to whoever's wanting to do the censorship. And Camille suggested that I have left out a fourth thing, which is certainly big: race, which I would. Assume under politics, but three or four things, depending on how you count them. Uh, the racial of these, it seems race right now is the most recent kind of bubbling up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say that our our current uh, tsunami of book banning fervor started with the New York Times 1619 project. Um, right-wingers got very upset about it. They they went after the scholar that was responsible for the 1619 project, which was a, a special edition that was devoted to the history of racism in this country and and black contributions to, to this country as well. And uh, it went from uh, ba- if the first thing they did was ban the teaching of the 1619 Project in the public schools in these certain states and areas. And from there, they suddenly came upon a college-level course of study called critical race theory that they thought, you know, we can build on all the fervor we stirred up over 1619 Project and we can get all these right-wing parents upset about critical race theory, which is not taught in public primary education. It was described to me by a guest here once more as a law school concept than even a collegiate level. Yes, exactly. Um, so uh, so we have, uh, you know, 
it, it metastasizes. In fact, I have a great quote here that I really like. It's from the author of Reading Lolita in Tehran. And I watched her say, the first thing every totalitarian regime does is, along with confiscation and mutilation of reality, is confiscation of history and confiscation of culture. It certainly happened in my experience when I was living in Iran. So when you are banning books, it metastasizes. And when you are banning books, you are not being American. You're being like an Iranian cleric. Mm-hmm. Go live in Iran if you, and, or in Afghanistan if you want to be able to ban books. That is un-American. It's totalitarian. I, I agree. It's like the Taliban taking over, you know? Yes. It's, only mean, it's the other team. It's the other the same team, league, other team. Same team. <laughs> the other team. They don't want to know. I mean, I think I, I have this whole thing with this critical race theory. It simply is t- trying to talk about history. What's the real history of this country? What really Which happened? has largely Which been is, suppressed. Ign- exactly, exactly. I mean, most people in this country have no idea what's happened to the, not only to the Native American people, but to the black people and to the Chinese people. I mean, my God, we had an exclusion thing where you couldn't even come into this country legally if you were a Chinese the act, and we And we were, at that time, not even ashamed. It wasn't shrouded anything. The legal right. act was called the Chinese Exclusion Exclusions Act. act. In right. fact, uh, we they didn't loved have to eugenics the, at that time. Yeah, yeah. Eugenics was actually a popular oh, exactly. thing. So Which it went right along with the that. ultimate right. in a, a racial explanation right. for everything. Pseudoscience. Right. But, and, right. and Hitler used our eugenics projects that we were doing in America mm-hmm. for one of for f- part of his excuse for why he was doing it over in Germany. So I mean, we don't want to know the ugly part of that. We we you know we want to think that you know I the other day I came upon an idea of doing a story. What if there had been no gold discovered in California? Would we have decimated the Native American population? Would we have gone with a, with a don't you know a, a manifest destiny to say we control all this land? Would this at all happen if we weren't after all that money? Would that have changed the entire culture of this world? And I'm, and I'm convinced that it would have and would make a fascinating book someday. But We still would have gone. It's got your name slower. on it, we would, found, <laughs> we would have found something else. <laughs> but we don't want to know those things. And when I and I get so wounded when I, when I read this stuff and I realize what's happened um, in our country and how, how fake we are about our great glory of, of being egalitarian and being a melting pot. We're really not a melting pot. I mean, we have unfortunately... There were those who, who would be, listen to this and say you are promoting an anti-America it, agenda. Yeah, I know they will. And I, all I'm do, trying to do is tell the truth about what's really happened in this country. And once we understand that that's happened, we can then move forward and say, let's not let this happen again. Well, to that point, Mike, uh, again, a quote from the beautiful young uh, poet that spoke at Joe Biden's uh, inauguration, Amanda Gorman, uh, Jana makes, you know, lists off, you know, some pretty awful things that have happened in this country. But at the same time, we do have things to be proud of. And as Amanda Gorman said in that poem, the country's not broken, just unfinished. Mm -hmm. So it's not anti-American to talk about our blemishes. Mm -hmm. It's where we make the repairs. It's where we apply the glue and the spackle and, 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 you know, add strength and corrections. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a mark of a mature country. Yes. That can look back. Uh, I, let me contrast that with the, the, the big uh, blind eye in China, for example, mm-hmm. has not come to grips with the horrors of Mao. Right. They, 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 it's, it, that's like off limits because Mao is a god right. figure and, and you can't do that. And I, I mentioned that only because it's an analogy to our own country. 
to say we we are not as blind as they are, but it's it's the same phenomena. Right. There's stuff that we don't want to hear because it's upsetting. And the other thing that I think creates this as an obstacle is that so many people think that whatever version of history they got taught in the grade school, that's the real history. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us are trying to mar those good feelings. And that's hilarious because there are professional historians all over the world who are doing new research, new work every single day. So what was cleaned up and put into your fifth and sixth grade book for 10-year-olds is outdated. It was probably outdated at the time it was written and taught. It was a reflection of power structures at the time. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, they're finding new documents. They are, you know, doing uh, sociological history, uh, finding you know where swaths of people were were moving or not moving or experiencing and there's or trails and so for forth. this stuff yeah. I mean you can go and find now documents right oh yeah what original were, source documents mm-hmm. they were always there you just, you just nobody looked look. at nobody, nobody wanted to see you know, nobody looked they say that history is written by the victor whoever was the victor gets to tell the story right or whoever's got the most sympathy gets to tell the story so like a great example was you know was the sitting bull uh, and the the whole battle um with custer you know i mean custer's people were wiped out well that was a horrible thing but it was a great thing for the native americans because it was the greatest victory they'd ever had and they thought for three minutes that this was now going to make let them have their own lives right so you've got these incredibly there's two sides to every story they tell us that in journalism school all the time never forget there's two sides to every story there truly are I always hated that. I think sometimes there's many sides to a story. That's what my experience is. Sometimes sometimes there's only one. Okay. Okay? (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's not two sides to the Holocaust. There's one side. Okay. And there are many other things for which there are many, many sides. That's true. No, no you're I hear right. drums. Uh-oh. I, I <laughs> hear drums. I do hear drums. Hey, you're you're being hustled out of here. Uh, we, we will return with uh, Janet Brumersbrock and Camille Kimball when we return in just a moment in The Think Tank. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Camille Kimball is here, as is Jana Brumersbach, both uh, reformed journalists, both current <laughs> authors, and both obviously incensed about the idea of banning books. Uh, we haven't talked too much about the specific books. I know, Jana, you came in here with a list. I want to hear some of your top sort of favorite books that have been banned and why. Okay, I think on the top of my list would be two Two of them would would, would, would would tie. One is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, which is, of course, one of the greatest books ever written in America. And, in fact, it's over 50 years old, now 55, almost 60 years old, and is still being sold at the same pace it was almost the day it was published. The book about racial prejudice in the South and about one man's strength to stand up to it, a white guy. Um, some people are criticizing it because there's a white savior. Well, uh, you know, Try to find a black savior in the South. Who had power at, at, at the that time. time. Right, yeah. right. But to find, to find this, this attorney who, could, who was the father of this little girl and who taught her what, what it meant to stand up for your principles. I think it's, it's a powerful, incredible book. And the movie was just as powerful as the book and it remains to this day. Didn't the book. movie get criticized for glossing over one of the 
uh, inferences that was in the book. I think it involved incest or something like that. There was a side, uh, there know, was something it, like that. There was have. something in there that that the that the movie wasn't willing to take well, on. Well, it take well t- willing to take on versus it takes you many hours. You know what, six, seven, eight hours to read that book. Yeah. It takes you ninety minutes to watch the movie. Yeah. You you have to cut things out. Which is why right. people who read books and then see the movie are always disappointed because it always includes just right. the time it says you, thing. You, you, right. it has to be a miniseries to present a whole book. And can we just say one yes. one moment yes. for the most holiest perfection, per, uh, perfection of casting that ever was with Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck as yes. Atticus and, Finch? And, yeah, and and and, I, and one of the things I all really learned from that book was 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 respect. What respect meant. There's a scene where where he's all the black people are up on the in the um, in the balcony, mm-hmm. and the whole downstairs is empty. But Atticus Finch has been getting his papers, and he's going to walk out, and they all stand as he walks out, and and Scout says, "Why are you standing up?" And she says, "Because your father is passing," and that to me was just the respect they had for what he had done—that he had dared stand up and, and defend. And this I black do guy. think that's probably one of the things that is objected to by the um, people who object to the whole white savior thing. Yeah. Nevertheless, let's let's talk about it. You know, let's read it and talk about right. it. And. Um, Doing what he did, this fictional character in the book, what was not easy to do. No, he, you know, he stood against the whole town, really against the whole county. Um, so I, I can understand why people would have differing views of of that scene, but. You know, let's talk about it. It's, right. I mean, are we going to uh, ban um, Don Quixote, my personal favorite book, because of various things that are in that? I mean, it was right. written. We've moved on. Now let's talk about. In fact, and we, you can, we can talk about those things and how cultures change. It can be a and great. That is a conversation exactly. worth having. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I see it as respect, and oh. I see that it was people who understood respect and 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 honored respect. Anyway, and my second book that I that would tie with that would be, of course, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaiden's Tale, um, which of course tells the story of men who take over the world and women have no power whatsoever, and they use they rape rape women as though they're their wives. They keep their wives on a pedestal. They have these children. They they screw around on at night, uh, you know, secretly. It's an intense credible thing of male power and male domination that every person must read because um, there are too many people in this country that would like to go to that to that scene as as the everyday standard and I think that book is incredibly important for people to read. You know I first read that book at least 25 years ago when it first came out whenever that was and it has haunted me ever since and I I just want to insert one word into your description of the plot and that is the rape of the women as if they were their wives it's ritualized rape exactly. so they they put a a holiness to it we're we're right but it's exactly what you said it's a rape but it's ritualized mm-hmm. and this is the world they live in where everything that we say is right and good no matter how vile it is mm-hmm. exactly so those are my those are those would be my two top choices camille yours well, Jana named a couple on my list, but I will go with um, <laughs> I have got stars and circles all around this one on my list because it's my number one. Um, 1984 by George Orwell. I mean, this is what we're talking about, the controlling of information. That's the entire plot of that book. They develop a new language, new speak. And, even, and, even, even restrict the language so that it is impossible to make a cutting uh, 
uh, a cutting criticism of the regime because the language doesn't contain the words with which you could do that. Exactly. The controlling. Yeah. My, my favorite part is the appendix, which goes through that. The principles of Newspeak. Oh, I love it. Love it. Um, and, uh, you know, Big Brother is always watching what you say and do and read. You can't read anything because Big Brother is making sure. Now, that's what these uh, book banning laws are. They are Big Brother. In fact, they want to put... Uh, cameras on teachers so that they can complain every time a teacher sneezes or something. That is, in fact, Big Brother right there. And the House bill that is moving through the Arizona State Legislature calls for the banning of any subject that would make anybody uncomfortable. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the language in front of me, but that's what it is. And and, and, and There's and, nothing left. Yeah, I know. And it, and it specifically bans teaching any topic that would... Uh, make anyone feel comfortable that they were being blamed by sex or race or religion. Well, how are you going to teach anything whatsoever? I guess we never had a civil war in this country. I guess we never had Jim Crow. I guess we never had um, heroes like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King. Uh, And you could just go on and on and on. You can't talk about uh, the suffragettes because, you know, oh, that would make men feel bad. Boys feel bad because men deprived women. So the fact that 1984 is on this list of banned books is the supreme irony to me and uh, like Big Brother's getting book. the last laugh. It was, yeah. it was a book about the evils of banning thought. Yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly. All right. And my second book, and by the way, I'm going from the list, in case people wanted to look it up and look a little more at this, uh, I'm going by a list from the American Library Association uh, where they have uh, compiled a list of the most banned books. And right there, almost at the very top, <laughs> Captain Underpants. <laughs> Tell me, what's wrong with Captain Underpants? <laughs> Uh, you're banning children's cartoons, little characters. You know who's next? Mickey Mouse. Come on. M and M's. M and M's. Exactly. You know, I heard a, I heard a great quote that I thought was incredible. It said, "Censorship is the child of fear. It is the father of in ignorance, and it is the weapon of tyrants." And I think that's what, what's happening here is we've got you've got a bunch of you've got a fear. People are are fearful because they've been told that they should be fearful, that there are too many bad things going on. There are too many other type of people that are running around in this world and that we somehow can't share this planet with, with each other. Um, the, the ignorance that goes on with so many of these these arguments um, and then the idea that they can decide that they're going to make rules for everybody and under the guise that they are trying to be free. Um, it's the absolute opposite of what they're of what they're actually trying to do. Can you can you reach out to the parents who are upset when they see something that sets them off? Uh, uh, whether I, I think very often it's any sexual reference at all is is high on the list of that. Uh, as is race, you know, something that. I listen to this, and I, we're on the same page, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's anything here that if you spoke to an audience of parents who are incensed about what might be being taught in our schools would speak to them. Can you speak to them at all? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a parent myself, and so 
um, I only have honorary, you know, uh, uh, nieces and nephews and, and people in my life. But um, I think that when, when you get to the point where you are dogmatic about what's going on, when you've decided that you are right and everybody else is wrong, um, it's just like trying to fight them over COVID or trying to fight them over Trump. I mean, there's, there's no reason to even discuss it with them because it's, it's, it's futile. It's, you're just wasting your time. They're entrenched and their heels are dug in and they're going to just stay where they are. Um, I, but I think that good teachers and good librarians, I think are, are, it's going to be their challenge to, to face this and to try to, um, in some way, break through. Well, I'm a little more um, hopeful than Jenna. <laughs> I, I, I will try to speak to them. And also, I would add to your list of who needs to break through this besides um, teachers and librarians. I think we have to because it as as the uh, Azar Nafizi says, you know, a regime will do this, and they will they will encroach. To me, I speak to the parents. I say, consider what the idea of America is about. America is about openness. It is about the marketplace of ideas. And if you are so fearful of all ideas, then then you're living in the wrong country, right? Where is your patriotism if you can't support the basic American ideal of the marketplace of ideas? I would also say I put the captain underpants on my uh, list for a reason of my top two, because if you start with something that really makes you uncomfortable, like, you know, a book about, you know, gay people for some reason, or a book about race, you are going to end up putting on more and more things on that list until you're down to Captain Underpants. What was the objection to Captain? I don't know. I can't imagine. Maybe because he's not wearing pants over his pants. Uh, you know, take a look at Daffy Duck. You know, um, but but that is my appeal to parents and and to the people who who support these bands. It's going to be something you enjoy next, something that you endorse. It's going to be on that 1984 list uh, that's going to get buried in newspeak and will become unmentionable because. You started with your foot in the door, the camel's nose in the tent of something you didn't like. And my, my last quote is from the Fahrenheit 451, which is a great movie and a great book. And, and Montag is the main character, and uh, he's going around burning books with his boss. And his, and he's, and his boss is explaining, to it, explaining it to him. And his boss says, Montag, books make people unhappy with their own lives. Oh, look, this book here is about lung cancer. See, all the cigarette smokers got in a panic. So for everybody's peace of mind, we burn it. Now, what kind of world would that be? You can't find out what's good for you, you know, whether or not you should smoke because someone decided it upset somebody. Mm -hmm. That's not the world you want to live in. Believe me. Mm -hmm. We'll be back for our final segment on book burning and censorship in the think tank in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're discussing book banning with Camille Kimball and Jana Boomer-Spock, who had something that she wanted to say. <laughs> well, I just saw LeVar Burton on um, the other night on Noah Trevor, and, and he was talking about, about banning books and about how he actually created Reading Rainbow in 82 after one of these burning, these book banning uh, purges, because they, he and PBS saw how important it was that, that children ha- would be exposed to good literature. And so he, so he started this pro- whole program, which, of course, he's done 
done all these years. But he said a great thing. He said, um, read the books they don't want you to read because that's where the good stuff is. <laughs> Absolutely true. <laughs> and that's where every kid is going to, going to know. And I think the other thing, that the other point that I think is so important is that if you look at what's happened to people in their lives and then you say, wait, I don't want people to be uncomfortable and get all this, uh, all, all upset about all this stuff. Remember little Ruby Bridges. She was the little girl in the white dress mm-hmm. who went to school and had to be escorted by the, the National Guard because she was a black girl in a school and I believe in Mississippi, I think. And it was a famous Norman Rockwell painting. Of famous this, yeah. Norman Rockwell painting. And the line is, if, if, if little Ruby can live through this, your child can read about it. Yeah. So. Uh, a very powerful argument, I thought. Yeah. Amen. Hey, uh, you know, one of the things that that I think kind of ties to this, we're we're just uh, uh, at the end, or we're not really the middle of the Palin trial, sued the New York Times for defamation. And uh, while the case got thrown out, you know she's going to appeal. And what she's trying to do is to take down, there's currently a higher standard if you if you say something bad about a public figure where you have to show actual malice rather than just that you, what you've said it if you made the statements against her and she wasn't a public figure there might have been some liability there in the case of the New York Times an absolute defense is it was done without any malice it was truly an accident and the point is that if you want to have a free press you want them to be accurate, but but honest mistakes will be made. And if you are going to severely penalize the press for any uh, supposed mistake, then you're not going to have a free press anymore. Mm-hmm. The standard uh, that established that, I'm sorry, was I New York Times versus Sullivan? Sullivan, right? right. Yeah. And I read and I read up on the and a little bit of the yeah. history of Sullivan, or what came before Sullivan, mm-hmm. and it is pretty ugly. There are editors throughout the country. And what do you know, very, very often black, who got put in prison, in prison for making some mistake in the newspaper, not committing libel, just putting some mistake. And it was Sullivan that put an end to that, that you have to have actual malice. You can't just have a typo or get the day wrong or something. Um and and you don't go to prison. You have a you have a civil fine, um, and you make a you make a correction. <laughs> you make a correction and an apology, um, which the in which this they case did. which in this they case did. the times they, rather quickly. They right. they've done everything that you could hope for if you felt truly mm-hmm. um, harmed by this. Okay. The other thing about the Palin trial, so you wouldn't want to see Sullivan. Uh, um, Brought down because then everyone's at risk. She seems to think that they can because the Supreme Court is sufficiently conservative. Well, on the well, then that is going to bring down. This is what I think about this Supreme Court. Um, They may be what they are, but they're highly educated, thinking people, and they know that the ecosystem of the right wing is full of lies and slander. So if they bring down uh, Sullivan, uh, they have left wide open. All protections gone for the ecosystems of the media that put them in place. Fox News tells lies 24 hours a day, and and they lose lawsuits regularly. This will pretty much shut them down, I would think, and many other um, right-wing media. The other thing about the Palin trial in specific is an element for uh, slander, you have to show some harm. You have to show, you know, I lost business opportunities, I lost my house, I lost this and that. And when Sarah uh, testified herself, they asked her, okay, you know, what happened? She said, well, a lot. 
And they said, okay, tell us what. She says, well, I can't remember exactly, but a lot happened. Yeah, that's what she – so I don't know that this Supreme Court is going to be able to convince themselves to overcome her lack of damages and also to put Fox News and Newsmax and all those places in extreme jeopardy. That's my thought. I'm hoping. you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely on target with that. And, I, and I'm sure that that's what's going through their mind. These are not dumb people. We may disagree with some of their politics, but these are all very smart people. They're well educated they know the law they know the they might interpret the law differently but but these are not idiots and and they would be idiotic if they did that in fact i would love to see them open up the door for fox news to be destroyed because i think yes. that they should um, but a but, lot of other but folks a lot of other down things would with go, collateral would go, damage would, would be would, would go with it too well it would it could potentially and take it, down any well funded media organization that's true but here's my question how in the hell can you libel sarah palin I mean, what is it possible to libel this woman? She has said the most idiotic things you can imagine saying. Well, there you go. She could not really show any reputation loss. She didn't. I mean, she's a. I mean, I I just find that thing quite quite humorous myself. Which I think is why the judge uh, dismissed the suit while the jury was still deliberating. Yeah, and interesting that we, they, they did a double whammy. He said there was insufficient evidence. On the basis of lack of evidence, I'm throwing out the – but I'm going to let the jury deliberate yeah, anyway. Right. And so you have a, you have a double claim there on the merits. But, but it's appealable because she's taking on the New York Times versus Sullivan principle, which is that you must show actual malice. Right. If she preva- she can't prevail without knocking down New York Times versus Sullivan, which is right. a principle that would have to go by the wayside. That's right. Well, I'm kind of hoping that, that her lawyers sit down and have a talk with her and, and say, you know, this is not really going to, you have a jury that went against you and you had a judge throw it out. And um, so maybe this is not, even if you want to bring that not, argument, this is the case. Right. This is not the case for that. Yeah. In fact, maybe it's not her lawyers who have that conversation with her. Maybe it's other people in, you know, influencers in the uh, right wing. Well, somebody, somebody's I, paying for that. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, that. I think it's the person who's going to write the check to say, yeah. okay, I'm not writing any more checks. Right. Are you kidding? I'm throwing Look my money for a away. different case. Yeah. Look for a different case. Oh, yeah, if those pockets are deep enough and we don't know who yeah, they are, it could be. Right. It, rather insignificant, depending on, you know, whose whose money is funding right. that. Yeah, that's true. Because I I don't think anybody would have taken that one on contingency. No, you I know, don't even, don't with the absence of damages, know. she could even prevail and collect fifty cents. Yeah, right, right. You know, try to live on a third of that. Yeah. It reminds exactly. me of the old novel QB Seven. I think that's how that ended. He uh, he prevailed and was. And was uh, awarded a dollar for reputation damages because yeah. it was the yeah. court statement. That's what we think <laughs> you're worth. <laughs> so what? How we, we've been in a spate of we we'll got a couple of minutes. Okay, spate okay. of court. What's what do you think's in the future? The immediate future. For we're going to me- come to our senses. I'm, bur- I'm banning books and the like. I mean. Oh, I think I think we're going to end up uh, probably back in a in a more normal stance than than before. And I think that uh, points that were made earlier that that the books that are that they're banning are going to be well read. They're going to be well sought out. Uh, kids are going to to gravitate toward them. The, the kids, the kids, but but maybe not some of them who the, whose parents are incensed. Maybe that's the or the hope is. Well, I you know there's a thing in uh, in religious circles about being a preacher's kid. That the the kid who is the the daughter or the son of the preacher is the one who's most likely to go out and and seek 
and seek mm-hmm. these forbidden things. So I think that by that principle, you're going to see a lot of these kids, you know, there's going to be whispering and kids always want to rebel. In fact, that's exactly the age when they, you know, start pulling away from their parents because that's the natural course of things. I do think you're going to see kids um, looking for those books. They'll find them online. They'll share them with each other. Well, they'll find them in the libraries. They're not, well, they'll fi- you, you know, know, if they succeed in getting them out of the libraries, they will find them online. Yeah. But you know how you, you you know that there's something really going on when every year in September the American Library Association has a banned book week in which they focus on books that people are trying to ban so that you know that that these books are happening. I, I think we've also all seen the displays in some of the better bookstores right. where they right. promote with it's pretty good reading list to to some banned books exactly. and. Uh, Thank you very much. Jana Boomersbach, Camille Kimball, hope you come back uh, soon. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, it has, it has been, been indeed a pleasure. Need to reach me? Uh, the website is mikeoneal.org. That's a vehicle, a gateway to email and other social media as well. See you next week in the Think Tank.